Welcome to the Red Door Church Sermon Podcast. Red Door Church is a church seeking to transform the city of Pretoria by the power of the gospel. We are distinctly mission-minded, community-cultivating, and city-loving. Please enjoy this week's sermon, and don't forget to follow and continue the conversation by sharing with those around you. Lord Jesus, we are so grateful for your amazing love and the the good news that you bring, as Abby prayed, you, you live the life that we could not live. You died the death that we do not, um, wait, you lived the life that we could not live. You died the death that we definitely deserved because of our sin. You rose from the dead and you ascended into heaven and you reconnected us with the creator, with our creator, that the... the the breakage, the break in relationship that was caused by sin. We pray for our hearts today. We pray that we would not be distracted. We pray that the, the words would fall on fertile soil, Lord, that um, every time we come together, Lord, we're so grateful that we can gather, that we are open and free, we are not under persecution, that we can discuss and debate and, and argue and share freely what we believe, who you are, and what you have done. And, and as we look at just your identity this morning and, and people's response to it, may we also look um, deep into our heart as to how we will respond to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I want you to... Imagine what is your deepest longing and your deepest desire. Sometimes it helps when you close your eyes. Like, what is your deepest longing and your deepest desire? Something you crave, something you really want. Now, for some of us, it is just we're craving that next season that's not out yet. We're craving for someone to ask us out, someone to marry us. We're craving for for the lecturer to publish our marks. We're craving for the bank to just approve our loan. We're craving and longing for a positive pregnancy test. We're longing and waiting for that, that court date where justice would be done. And for a lot of us, we're just longing and craving each and every day that when the electricity goes off, it would come back on again. (laughs) Now, take whatever you were thinking about. Okay, you can open your eyes again. Um, Take whatever you were thinking about and multiply that by a million. And that's how you know what the Jews were feeling like in this passage. So I have the privilege to talk about the passage where the long-awaited Messiah is finally revealed to the world. Now, for some of us, it's like, yeah, Jesus, the Gospels, four Gospels, Jesus is here. Let's talk about Jesus. But to put yourself in a Jewish mindset, you have to go all the way back to Genesis 3. Something special happened at Genesis 3. Adam and Eve decided, God, we don't want to listen to you. We, we want to we be like you, 
in the sense that we want to rule. We want to be the boss. And as a result of that, that rebellion, sin entered into the world. Now, a lot of you who are in a relationship, who've ever been in a relationship, in a marriage, you know that as soon as there's sin between you, as soon as there's, you maybe gossip, or you were mean, or you said something, like, as soon as there is sin or a break in relationship, it causes friction. Now, that is infinitely true for God, the creator, and God, his creation. As soon as the creation said, no, God, we don't want to listen to you. We want to run the show. A, a split happened. And as soon as Genesis 3, which some scholars call the Proto-Evangelion, or the first gospel, so this is the first time that the, the idea or the concept or the, the hope of someone who will come fix this mess is mentioned. So in order to fix the mess, the relationship between God and his creation, us and God, that was separated, in order for that to be brought back in perfect unity and harmony, like before the fall, is for someone to come and pay the price for that rebellion. And that's what Genesis 3.15 refers to. God speaking to the snake says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He, a man that is the offspring of a woman, will bruise your head, and he will bruise your heel, right? And you shall bruise his heel. So all throughout the Old Testament, there are these prophecies that are, are given by God. He's revealing himself to his people progressively, and he's reminding them that there will one day be a person who will not only be a person, but will be God. And that person will be the one who, who reunites God with his creation so that all who believes on him, all who put their trust in him, will be able to come and have perfect unity and harmony with God. So that is what today's passage is about. And I want to break it up in just two points. Uh, I'm not going to go chronologically through the passage. It's just too long. But I want us, and I think this is not just what I want, this is what John the author wants, wants us to really see who God is, who Jesus is in his identity, that he is God, and also how people respond to him. So we'll see a lot of examples of people responding to him, and we also see a lot of people giving him titles, seven titles specifically, and you know, John loves seven, seven, the, 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 the number for completion, perfect wholeness. So how... People are responding to him. How are they naming him? How are they identifying him? That will give us an idea of who Jesus is and how we should respond to him. So as we go through the passage, we'll hear that as we sung, Jesus is the Lamb of God. Jesus is the rabbi. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is Jesus of Nazareth, which is also from a prophecy. Jesus is the prophet from Deuteronomy 18. Um, Jesus is the king of Israel. Jesus is the son of man, as he referred to himself from Daniel 7. So all these titles, along with the three, the three evidences that Jesus is God from the prologue from last, last week, we saw that in the beginning was 
the Word, and the Word was with God, but not only with God, the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Nothing that was made was made without Him. Through Him, all things were made. Without Him, nothing was made. He was the light of, He was life, and that life was the light of men. Light shines in the darkness, but the darkness does not overcome it. So that through the Logos, through the life, and through the light, John is trying to argue that this Jesus is the Son of God. He's divine. He's eternal. He's preexistent. And now again in this passage we go on to see all these titles that people give him prove that he is divine. We'll dabble a little bit into his identity as we look through the different responses. So the first response I want us to look at is John the baptizer. I'm going to say John the baptizer because you might think that John the Baptist, as he is commonly referred to, started the Baptist denomination, which is not true, but um, I'm going to refer to him as the baptizer because there's three other Johns, believe it or not, in this passage. You get John, the father of Peter and Andrew, uh, John, the guy who's writing the book, and John the baptizer. So it's just too confusing. Um, I'm not sure why they kept on saying the same name. But um, we have to find some way to, to, to figure out who's who here. Who's, which John are we talking about? So I'm talking about John the baptizer. <clears throat> when John the baptizer sees Jesus, he worships him. So the first response is, when we see who Jesus truly is, we can't help but worship him. Now, where we are in the passage today is a little bit after the time when Jesus was baptized. So that's not mentioned in John because John knows that other gospel writers already referred to it. So in Matthew 3, we see that John the baptizer baptizes Jesus. And what happens? Heavens open up. The Spirit descends on Jesus as a dove and remains on him. And then God himself, an audible voice which people who were there heard, said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus then goes into the wilderness. He's tempted by the devil for 40 days, fast for 40 days. And then when he comes back, he passes the test, comes back and he's going to start his ministry. But he needs disciples. So where is he going to go look? He's going to first go to John. Because, you know, John and Jesus are second cousins. I don't know if you guys know that. That's pretty insane. If you want to know more about that story, go read it in the other Gospels. You know, just how that happened, how John was prophesied by the angel Gabriel, how Mary and, Ma, uh, Mary and Elizabeth met, how the baby leapt in the womb. Uh, there's just a lot of supernatural things that were happening around John the baptizer. He had a Nazarite vow over his life, didn't drink alcohol, didn't cut his hair, he only ate locusts and honey, so we can safely assume that he is really thin and has a lot of facial hair and hair hair. He, he's also wearing animal clothes, which is, which is strange, but not that strange because some other prophets also wore that for specifically Isaiah and Elijah. Elijah, sorry. And he is doing something that no one else is doing. When you read the passage, you hear that John the baptizer is baptizing people. Now, 
for us, it's like, ah, oh, baptism is a normal thing. People baptize people. Like, it's not, a, it's not a unique thing. But there must be something different about it because thousands upon thousands of people are flocking to hear him and be baptized by him. Now, it wasn't uncommon for a Jew to baptize a Jewish proselyte or a Gentile who wants to become a Jew. So a Jew would then baptize a Gentile to become a Jew. It also wasn't uncommon for a Jew to ritually cleanse themselves in what was called, I think, a mikvah, which is basically a bath, but you would go baptize yourself. So you would walk into the water, you would dip yourself to cleanse yourself. The Essenes, which was a sect of the Jews, did this every day, but other Jews only did it at special occasions. But for a Jew to baptize other Jews was unheard of. Unheard of. What John was basically saying is, I am treating you Jews like Gentiles. And you Jews, you need to come to Christ through faith. Or you need to come to repentance in God in preparation for the Messiah who will come to save you and, and cleanse you from your sin. So that's John the baptizer. And, and when he sees Jesus return from his 40 days in the wilderness and his temptation, he cannot help but say, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. He is truly the Son of God. He came after me, but he ranks before me, even though he became after me. And people are like, whoa, you're just talking a lot about forward, backwards, forward. Like, John is proclaiming that Jesus is the Son of God because, yes, he's younger than John the baptizer, but he pre-existed and he created all things, therefore saying he is God. So he cannot help but worship when he sees Jesus. The second response, also from John the baptizer, is that he cannot help but testify to who this Jesus guy is. So Pharisees, Levites, Jews from the capital city, comes and asks him, like, okay, we see that you're very popular. You have thousands of people coming to you, wanting to hear from you, be baptized by you. Who are you? They want to know who he is. But John wants to say who Jesus is. He's like, you're asking the wrong question. The right question is, I'm not the Messiah. You have to ask, who is the Messiah? Because he's in our midst. Even at that very moment, Jesus could have been in the crowds. Because it says the next day when Jesus walked past. So he could have been right there in the crowd. And when the Pharisees asked him, he's like, he could be here. That guy that you think I am, I'm not that guy. But that guy that we've been waiting for, for almost 6,000 years, that's been prophesied since Genesis. That guy is here. Not only that guy, God in the flesh is here. And he's going to finally reunite us with himself if we put our faith and our trust in him. So he cannot help but testify 
And this is going to be contrasted with my last point where, where there's testifying to people you know, but this is John testifying to complete strangers. So I'm not trying to say, hey, hey, some of us have to like testify to like complete strangers in Standard Bank and like at the coffee shop and like, because I think that's the first thing we hear because I think as we read, we can kind of see where this application is going. We're like, Christ is going to stand up here and say, guys, we need to tell other people about Jesus which is going to happen later. But we always kind of like juxtaposition themselves against like, okay, you either need to like tell only people that you know, or you need to go, you need to go tell everyone. It's like, hey, it's kind of both. You know, you see both happening here. And we see the example of John when people are asking him. People are coming from all over the country. And he's saying, behold, the guy we've all been waiting for, the Messiah is here. I am the red carpet on which he will come. I am the one who reveals him. In fact, I had a revelation from God where God said, John, you are going to go baptize people. And John was probably like, but why? Like, we don't do that. That's weird. And God's like, you will go baptize people. And through your baptizing people, the Messiah will also be baptized. And I will reveal him to you so that you know for a fact that is him. That is why I came. John says, that is why I came. I literally came to baptize and to point people to Jesus. So he testifies to other people. The third way of responding is when we truly understand who Jesus is, it humbles us. So we, it turns us to worship him. It calls us to testify about him to, to strangers, anyone. But it also humbles us. Now, for this to sink in, you truly have to understand what kind of celebrity John the baptizer was. He wasn't just some guy who had like 20 people there with him. John the baptizer was referred to by Jesus as of a man born of a woman, John is the greatest. Jesus didn't say after Moses, after David, after Solomon, after Joshua, after Noah, after all these great people, shame John. No, he says of anyone born of a woman, this person, John the baptizer, is greater than anyone. There's a reason why thousands flock to him. There's a reason why religious authorities flock to him. There's a reason why people wanted to be baptized by him. There's a reason why when Jesus said, behold, the Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world, only two of his disciples left to follow Jesus. All his other disciples were like, we like this. We are literally celebrities in Israel. We have a, a flourishing movement. We have a flourishing church. And what does, what does John say? You know, the one time where some of his disciples were getting a little bit jealous of Jesus, the growing movement. They say, but Jesus and his disciples are baptizing more people than us. And then what does John say? He must increase and I must decrease. Because that is why I came, to reveal him. 
What we do does not matter. What he does is everything. So when you realize who Jesus truly is, your own, your own thing, your popularity, your, your, your kingdom, your, your hopes, your dreams, your desires, all becomes infinitely not important. And you can humble yourself under the true God of the universe. The next response is one of curiosity and a desire to investigate. So here we see Andrew, so the two disciples. I have a theory that um, the, the second disciple that's with Andrew that goes and follows Jesus is actually John, the author of this book, because on numerous occasions, he never refers to himself by name. He only says the disciple that, that Jesus loved. Um, he refers to himself a little bit every now and then. But then at the end of the book, he's like, hey, that guy, John, the, John, the apostle, is me. You'll see the second last verse of the book, if you want to go, spoiler alert, if you want to go be like, hey, I'm the guy who wrote this book. Um, so I, I really have an idea that, say, let's say John, the author, and Andrew, who now leave John the Baptizer's ministry, they are curious to investigate. They don't know for a fact that this is legit because a lot of messiahs were revealing themselves to the world at that time. False messiahs. So it wasn't, it wasn't, a norm, it wasn't abnormal for a messiah to pop up every now and then and to have like a little following. You know, in, in the book of Acts, it even refers to a few times where this guy and that guy, and he had 400 followers, and he caused a thing, and they were crucified by all the, you know. So there's a lot of messiahs who claim that they are someone, they are something, and then it just falls flat within a few months. But they wanted to go investigate and hear more. And I always get this picture because the way that the text says, you know, they, they followed him. And, and I always get this idea that they're creepingly falling behind him. And then Jesus is like, what are you looking for? You know? Uh, but the, the true sense of the word is truly just asking like, hey, what do you guys want? And then I always was bamboozled by the response because they're like, like, we just want to know where you live. And he's like, uh, is, is that really what you want? Like, but that's, you know, the, the, the meaning that comes across is that we want to spend time with you. We want to get to know you. We want to investigate to see if the claims that John the Baptizer, our previous disciple, our previous rabbi, we want to know if it's true. So in that, Jesus is honored and glorified. He's like, yes, come and see. So there's a desire to grow. So even with us, as soon as we realize who Jesus is, we want to know more, want to grow more, want to read our Bible more, want to, we want to watch sermons, listen to sermons, come fellowship. We want to know more. Even, even Nathaniel. Nathaniel, when Philip came to him, you know, Nathaniel who said, ah, can anything good come out of Nazareth? When Philip asked them, or when Philip told them, we have found the Messiah, the one that the prophet and the, uh, Moses and all the prophets pointed to, we have found him. He's here. And then Nathaniel could have been like, well, to be honest, nothing comes good out of Nazareth, so I don't believe you, so thank you and good night. And then close the door, goes on with his life. Could have done that. But how encouraging is it that even though he doubted, he still decided to go investigate. 
He's like, ah, I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure. Like, really? Nazareth? Like, I don't think so. But I mean, I'm willing to go check it out. And then when he encounters Jesus, he realizes King of Israel, Son of God, Lord of Lords, you know? So we see that desire to, to be curious and investigate. This, the next response is it causes people to make a sacrifice. As soon as we know and understand who Jesus truly is, it causes us to want to sacrifice. Not, it forces us to have to fa- sacrifice. No, we want to sacrifice. When you understand how popular this ministry of John the Baptizer truly was, you see that Andrew and unknown disciple, whom I think is John, the author, for them to give all of that up was not easy. That's like, that's like someone working for a very large company, maybe even a multinational company, and then decide to go join a tech startup with no guarantee of success. That's, that's a big sacrifice. Like You don't know where that's going to go. They could have just stayed comfy, along with all other John the Baptizer's disciples, you know, be like, hey, we're happy here, we're just getting a lot of people, we're getting a lot of, you know, airtime, we're on the news a lot, you know, people are talking about us, a lot of people are coming. But they sacrifice that and say, listen, I want to know for, for a fact that this is the Messiah. <coughs> yeah, actual papa. The next response is, is to share, when we understand who Jesus truly is in his identity as God, it makes us want to share with people we know, close friends and relatives. The story of Andrew always really hits me to the heart because I myself am somewhat of an introvert and I'm not that, I know I'm in the front right now, but like symbolically, I'm not the guy in the group that's like, and, and when I enter the room, everyone's like, what does he have to say? Like, no, I'm not that guy. I, I walk into the room and people find out two hours later that I was there, <laughs> you know? So Andrew was that guy. And I love Andrew for that. Like Andrew, he goes and investigates, he's curious, he finds out that what John the Baptist said is true. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. He's going to save Israel from their sins. And not only Israel, but the Gentiles as well. He then goes to his big brother, who's Peter, or Kepha. He's going to become the rock on which the church is built. He's going to be the inner circle of Jesus. Jesus had an inner circle of three, Peter, James, and John. Not Peter, James, John, and Andrew. No, Andrew was just one of the 12. But still, I mean, he's still one of the 12, which is awesome. But I think a lot of times in Andrew's mind, he's like, but I brought Peter, and now I'm not one of them. I'm not one of the inner three. And who, who proclaimed the message at Pentecost where thousands were saved on one day? Peter. Who led the church? Peter. 
but would there have been a Peter if there wasn't an Andrew? That's what we have to ask ourselves. Because a lot of us are sitting here like, I'm not that guy in front. I'm not that girl in front. I'm not so extroverted. I'm not gifted. I don't know what to do. I can't. I can't. Coming up with all these excuses. I can't. All God is calling us to do is to tell people what we saw and what we heard. So for those of us who love um, courtroom dramas, I mean, Tremaine is actually an attorney, so for him it's like that's his life. But for most of us, courtroom dramas or series and stuff, when you look at that whole scene, you know that, that typical scene where the judge is there with his little white hair and um, his little hammer, and then the attorney is there. Oh, wait, Ivy is also an attorney, I forgot. Um, the attorney is there defending what, 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 and the, the witness is there, like, stressed because they're being asked all these questions. Out of those three people, who of them studied the most? Tremaine and Ivy might be able to tell us. A judge, attorney, or a witness? The judge studied the most. They probably had to do like, you know, undergrad, honors, masters, PhD, a lot of work experience, articles, then probably do a whole bunch of other stuff and then maybe extra exams, I'm not sure. But like, you must have done something or know someone or do, like a lot of time went into you becoming a judge to swing that hammer. But attorneys as well, like they need to know the law. They can't just be up there like, yeah, we're not sure, eh? Like, they need to know why this person is guilty or innocent, depending on what your side of the, the, the aisle is. But the one person there that really doesn't have to do anything, they didn't have to hand in any assignments, they didn't have to write any tests, they didn't have to get a degree, they literally just had to rock up on the day, and they're like, listen, what did you see? She was wearing yellow. When was it? 10 o'clock. That's all they had to do. They didn't have to study to share what they saw and what they heard. Now, when Jesus says, I, Acts 1, 8, I want you to be my witnesses. I want you to be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. In, in Jerusalem or the city where you live, the neighborhood where you live, where you live, work, and play, in, in the area, Judea or Gauteng, and to the ends of the earth. I want you to be my witnesses. And what are the first, the first excuses we usually come up with? Oh, no, I, just, I haven't been trained. I haven't been trained. We need to do some training. Like, no, Jesus didn't say to, 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 to Philip and Andrew, like, hey, we just need, need to do a 10-month Bible study first, and then we're going to train you guys up, and then you'll be able to witness about me. No, he didn't even tell them to do it. They just did it like, ah, wow, wow, Messiah. We've been waiting for him for, for ages. He's here, he's gonna save us. Let's go tell people. Just because they wanted to. It was automatic as a result of understanding that Jesus is God. We, we don't have to live in fear of what other people think of us. We don't have to live in fear of, of losing a relationship. We don't have to get extra super awesome training. We don't have to think that, hey, my job is to bring people to the church. Once I bring them, it's Rankis' job. 
Like, I, my, my hands, like, I brought them, Renki's is, is next. You know, that's not, that's not what we see in this passage. We see witnesses who just saw something and heard something just telling someone else. And another encouraging thing is that the more we're going to be reading the book of John, the more we're going to realize that these disciples who are proclaiming Jesus to be the Son of God are constantly messing up and not understanding what kind of Messiah Jesus truly is. Because they have this idea of Jesus, the Messiah, Son of David, come in with his white horse, come in with his secret army, come in the army with angels and, and just destroy the Romans, kick them out and, and inaugurate this amazing new kingdom of the Jews. No one else allowed. That is what they thought, honestly. So Jesus has to, you'll, we'll see throughout the book, constantly he's like, ah, I mean, I am the Messiah, but not that kind of Messiah. Like, not that, like, you are, you are proclaiming me to be this Messiah that is wrong. It's, it's a common cultural idea that's wrong. I need to constantly tell you. I mean, the one time Jesus even says, like, so who do you say I am? And then Peter, the leader, is like, you are Jesus, son of God, the Messiah. And he's like, great, great, awesome, awesome. Just a few verses later, when, when Jesus says, I'm going to lay my life on the cross. I'm going I'm to give my life for the sins of many on the cross. And then Peter rebuked him. Peter rebuked Jesus, saying, no, 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 that can't happen. No, 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 How's, how are we going to overthrow the Romans if you're, killing, you're getting killed? And Jesus had to say, like, Satan, get behind me. Like, you don't know what you're talking about. So they don't understand. So the encouraging part of that is that as we witness to other people that we know, friends, family, colleagues, people we gym with, play tennis with, like, as we do that, Jesus is okay for you to not know everything. Jesus is okay for you to not have a degree in theology. Jesus is okay for you to just share what you experienced and heard. And that's where our story comes in. No one knows your story better than you because you were there for the whole thing. So for you to just say like, hey, man, I, I used to try and like rule my own universe. I used to try and be acknowledged by people. I used to find my joy in, in relationships. I wanted to to get acknowledgement by being like the best student. I, I tried to find happiness, but it never worked. And as soon as I met Jesus, I just realized that he loves me and accepts me for who I am, not for what I can produce for him. Like, that's why I love him so much. That's why I worship him. That's why I'm a Christian. That's my story. Mic drop, out. And then people are like, oh, I also try to find life in in relationships. I also trying to find life in, in my prestige and my title. Like, yeah, that's going to make me think. You know, it's just your story. It's just your own experience. And ultimately, it's the Holy Spirit that empowers us to do that. So, yes, it's easy. Just tell people what you've heard, what you've seen, what you've experienced, but also depend on the Holy Spirit because, you know, the same way that 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 little boy came and said, like, I got five loaves and two breads, and then 4,000 people were, were fed. The same way, we can just come with our 
this is what I saw, this is what I heard, this is what I know. They're like, no, but apologetics, you must be able to, to explain to me this deep, dark thing of how to understand this, this, and this. I'm like, no, that, that's not important. You don't have to fear telling someone about what you saw and heard like, because they might ask you a question. And the best answer for that is, hey, I don't know. Like your witness doesn't all of a sudden disappear because you say, I'm not sure, I don't know. And that actually buys you time because you can then go and be like, hey, I'm not sure, but let's find out together. Let's go read the Bible together, let's find out. Because that immediately disarms people who are trying to fight and trying to argue and trying to be right. They're like, hey man, uh, like, I don't know. I don't know, let's, let's find out together. That really breaks that down. So that, in my opinion, in my humble opinion, is what John the author is trying to communicate to us. Jesus is the Son of God. And when we truly encounter him, it changes how we think, how we live, how we act, how we spend our money, spend our time, our energy, how we raise our children, how we work at work. It changes and should change everything. And the question I'll leave with you is, now that I've encountered Jesus, how is my life different from everyone else around me? How is my life different from all the people I gym with, I work with? If there's no difference, you probably have to go relook at, do you truly understand who Jesus is and what he has called us to and what he has saved us from? Jesus, we, we praise you and we worship you and we glorify you. We know that we are sinful, we are weak, we cannot do anything in our own strength and in our own power, but we know that we can put our trust and our hope in you, and through you, we can have life. Not only life, but life in abundance, here in this life and in the life to come. So we put our hope in you, we put our trust in you, our lamb who, who died, who was sacrificed on the altar, who paid the wrath of God who gave us life and life to the full. And we, we pray that as we process some of this, as we, we look at the responses of these disciples, that we ourselves would respond in that way. Amen.